What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Tuesday's episode of All Canadian. Wade Zanketa, Connor O'Neill here. We are back after a big weekend of football. Some exciting finishes in the CFL. We had some college football kickoff as well. And U Sports football is finally back. Montreal and Sherbrooke kicked off, as did Laval and McGill. Wade, I can only imagine that your weekend was as full of football as mine was. Yeah, it was full of football, but also had a golf tournament in there. So we did have to temper our football watching a little bit. We got it all caught up, though. But we had a good week in fantasy. We had a good week in Connor's covers. Everyone involved in week four seemed to have a great time. Marshall Ferguson sounded great on the Red Blacks broadcast. So all around good week for the guys at CFP. Now we get to dive in to our U Sports content that we know we've been waiting a year and a half for. But if we're going to dive into something, why not dive into some beer? Sawdust City Brewing Company offers brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. This August, before the episode's done, Head over to sawdustcitybeer.com, enter the code CFL, our exclusive promo code for this month. All orders over $100 will get free shipping. Shipping is available to Ontario residents only, must be of legal drinking age. And get back into the game with Fox 40. Visit fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards, gear, and more. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, that is CFP15 at fox40shop.com. Before we dive into the U Sports stuff that we are absolutely dying to get to, we have some news and notes. Yeah, dying to get to. We have some news and notes coming out of the West. And yes, that is the final two stadiums, Edmonton and Saskatchewan, after not budging. For the first four weeks, they're now going vaccines or negative test proof required for entry at Mosaic Stadium and Commonwealth. Brings our league to a full close. Everyone will have these in place. I think the last start date for the vaccine proof is September 22nd. So everyone has it in place. They're working to either implement it or it is implemented already. So therefore... CFL is going to be vaccine mandatory, head to toe across the board, and it's time to just get down to football. I know that the Red Blacks had their home opener this weekend. My parents were there. They said they were shocked at the number of people, they said, that just opted not to wear a mask. Walking in the concourse, sitting in their seats, whether they had a drink or food or not, it's just people refusing or taking off their masks and what I said to my mom was, you guys have to think of it this way. If they're going vaccine mandatory, it's okay for those people to have their masks off more than it would be if it wasn't. And because there's 15,000 plus people in these stadiums, it's so hard to police everyone for 60 damn minutes of football, plus the time before, plus the time after, plus halftime, you are on top of these people and you can't physically staff your stadium well enough 
to do so. So I'm glad the CFL is moving in this direction. Uh, took us a while to get here, four weeks, but it's finally here. And on the case of the Elks, that won't be taking effect until October 15th, though. And now the Elks announced that Commonwealth Stadium will need to be fully vaccinated or show proof of negative COVID or show proof of a negative COVID test beginning with the club's home game on Friday, October 15th. A little bit off into the distance, but nonetheless, we are getting nine out of nine teams with vaccination requirements, mandatory vaccinations for fans in attendance, or at least a negative test. We are trending in the right direction here. We are trending in the right direction for the CFL. Absolutely. And let's keep talking CFL. We'll leave our, we know we're going to talk RSEC. That's going to be the main body of this episode. So we're going to leave it. You guys heard the teams that played. We'll get to that later on and what we thought of the opening games. But let's keep talking CFL. I mean, we had a wild finish Sunday night. Mark Leggio, the Western guy, one of four U Sports place kickers, mind you, this weekend. We had Mike DeMagala, Louis Ward, Cote out in Montreal, and then Leggio bringing it home on the Sunday. And he, he almost missed it. He almost did, but luckily someone was not paying attention to the play clock because he shanked it. They got pushed back on the time count. He hit an even further field goal straight down the pipes. So good for him to win that one. Call him the leg. He absolutely drilled that. Yes, they had that time count violation, which probably makes a lot of special teams coordinators cringe, but worked out in their favor because he comes back, like you said, and drills the 50-yarder. And uh, as we stay on kicker talk, I'd just like to say one more thing. That is a goodbye, good riddance, see you never, I wish you never came, to J.J. Molson. I don't even think he was in camp. I don't think he was. But guess what? They drafted him. I said, why the hell are you drafting him? Because you've had a perfectly good Carlton Ravens kicker who will go nameless. We've already mentioned him, but he will go nameless for a couple more minutes. In camp, they still drafted him. They thought, oh, well, this UCLA kicker, he can't even hit half his field goals. Let's bring him into the CFL. Sure enough, a year without football later, three weeks into the season, and this Carlton Ravens kicker, iron leg Mike DeMagla, comes out with a great performance and makes you question, wait a second, who was that kicker that they drafted? when they still retained the rights to DeMagula, bye-bye J.J. Molson. You should have never been selected. You're so salty about that pick, and I absolutely love it. I'm even more salty because I am right. Because at the time of it, this is the guy that I said should be the kicker instead. And here we go. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes Wade's rant for the Tuesday episode. Let's talk some Dane Evans because... Man, he looked pretty good. I know Jeremiah Masoli was out with nursing a little bit of an injury. Dane Evans steps in, does what Dane Evans does, runs the show seamlessly. I mean, the real question for that game is, Montreal defense, are you in the building? Did you did you get off the bus? Did you suit up? Did you put your helmet on? Because we know that Hamilton hasn't bad O-line. That's why Masoli is hurt. 
because he took so many hits from the riders that he's probably got, I'm guessing, cracked ribs, at least bruised ribs. But it was a rib injury that kept him out. And Dane Evans just kind of goes through the motions, you know, little rollout, seam ball. Kalinich made a great play as well. Let's 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 give Kalinich props on that goal line to spin around and have the I know Connor wants to talk about the shoes. We'll get there. But uh the stretch across the goal line was fantastic. So Connor, talk about your shoes. I'm not talking about the shoes just yet. My biggest takeaway from the Ty Cats Owls game is not Dane Evans throwing for 183 and 2, is not Sean Thomas Erlington running for 73 and 1. Is not Stephen Dunbar coming out of nowhere for 95 and 1? Not out of nowhere. Christina got that. Christina Constabile got that one on CFL.ca. She absolutely nailed that pick. Shout out to her. It's not even Nikola Kalinic with the stretch, it is Nikola Kalinic with the one sleeve, the dark visor, and the Jordan 11 Concord cleats. My God, he looked clean. The football gods noticed it and rewarded him. With a tud. We've we've never talked about this. For all of our listeners, Connor's a huge sneakerhead. Oh, massive like, sneakerhead. Like, I'm, I'm not kidding. He has limited edition Kentucky kicks. He's got a whole bunch of stuff. And whenever I see a nice pair of shoes, I'm just like, hey, Connor, check these out. He'll come he'll come running out. I think, like... In the fight last night. Well, in the fight two nights ago, uh, Serrano, the female boxer from Puerto Rico that just dominates. I think she got, like, 30 knockouts. She was wearing Jordan boxing shoes. And I'm like, hey, Connor. Got, you got to come check these out. I'm pretty sure she's got Concords or 11s or whatever they were. They had, like, the extra heel tag in them, but... It was like a hybrid 6-11-type boxing shit. They look clean. Modeled after an 11, they had the heel tab of a 6. Oh, good look. Connor good look pay, for boxing. Connor would pay a lot of money to wear those sneakers, even casually. Oh, yes, I would. But let's keep talking about Dane Evans, because, I mean, the Montreal defense was nowhere to be found, and Dane Evans took full command of it. So if Masoli's healthy, if you know you're going to be playing the Argos Labor Day weekend big game home opener, who are you rolling out? I I don't know. That's a good question. Like, do you rock with Dane Evans after the outing he just had? He almost played perfect football in some capacity. I mean, 183, that's pretty serviceable, but he only missed on seven of his pass attempts, and he threw for two touchdowns, no interceptions. I think heading into Labor Day – you give Masoli the time that he needs to heal up, and you roll with Dane Evans because you're confident in him. Not only this year, but you know, building on what he did in 2019, led that team to a Grey Cup following a Masoli injury. Now he comes back out following a Masoli injury and plays damn good football. He took care of the ball. He ran the offense well. And that Ticats offense, under the control of Dane Evans, looked good. Mind you... STE had a damn day. Okay, so here's my question. We know that the running game has finally appeared for the first time in the season. He barely got touched, and now you're going to go play against a Toronto Argos team, which, you know, credit where credit's due. They played lights out defense against Winnipeg. We know the pass rush is there. That's what they signed all those big-name guys to come in and do. Do you really think Evans stands a chance, or is it more of just giving Masoli the extra week to heal before he has to face the same pass rush? Well, that's what I mean. Like because Toronto's pass rush, is, because Toronto's pass rush is so good, are you comfortable as a head coach 
rolling out Jeremiah Masoli when he's maybe not fully healthy and putting him in line to take an absolute beating because we know whether you like it or not, whether you're a Ticats fan or a Ottawa fan or a Montreal fan, we know Toronto's getting into the backfield. And do you run the risk then if Dane Evans plays well of people kind of questioning why he's the backup? Or is it pretty obvious that, like, look, Masoli got the hell beaten out of him for two weeks in a row. Now he's hurt. Dane Evans comes in. Pass rusher wasn't really a factor. Like, now he's throwing touchdowns and... Like, it's a question. People are going to question it. Hamilton Media is going to question it. Let's play hypothetical here. Let's put our GM hats on. So let's say we go out and we have a Labor Day Classic. Wade is literally putting a hat on right now. Let's say Dane Evans goes out and has a day in Hamilton for the Labor Day Classic, comes out, throws somewhere over 200, couple touchdowns, has another really good day. They beat Toronto, and they're winning the Labor Day Classic. Is Dane Evans the backup then at this point? Because we haven't seen 2019 Jeremiah Masoli yet. I I, I understand he's only had two games under his belt and he hasn't had time from his offensive line, but Dane Evans is playing behind that same offensive line. So if he goes out and has a day, is he then – do you move him to your starter? That's my question here. Dane Evans played against a significantly worse pass rush, though. I know yes. Armando is there in the middle for Montreal – they weren't getting pressure. They weren't getting into the backfield. They didn't look good. I but will for Masoli, he's played the two top teams in the league. Undoubtedly, Saskatchewan is up there. Winnipeg, I keep it number one. We'll get to that. Yeah, in the we're going to get there. But I mean, for Dane Evans, like there must be there must be something in camp that proved to Coach Steinauer and the Ticat staff Masoli's our guy. I don't think that you're going to run into this whole quarterback controversy. But it's going to be talked about in the media, and someone's going to make it bigger than it should be. Um, but let's go to Ottawa, where, you know, maybe they want to pick up the phone and call about Dane Evans or Jeremiah Masoli. I mean, at this point, they probably should. I mean, what have, what have we seen from Matt Nichols that we've liked? All I've seen so far, Check and downs. I said this to you last— I said this to you on Sunday when we were watching the Calgary game— you can now see why Winnipeg was more than comfortable letting Matt Nichols go. Absolutely. I mean, look at what he's done with this Ottawa offense. It's check down, check down, check down, check down, check down. Maybe Dedmond or Nate Bahar get open in the intermediate game, but you're not threatening people downfield. No, and, they're not. And at some point, teams are going to start playing you like you're not a threat downfield. Teams already have. I like it's it's happening this early in the season. And they're already trying to switch around and oh, I know it was raining. I guess what? Mike Riley rolled out to his left on the run through a rope to the corner for a 40-yard touchdown. An absolute dot. So, where's the rain then if Matt Nichols like to me it's just the offense, you can see they have a good run O-line still. They're they're running the ball effectively. Not overly well, but they're running it effectively. And then they just don't have an it factor at quarterback. And in a league that's so quarterback-driven, and really, not even a league, it's a sport. Football as a whole is so quarterback-driven. And if you don't have that guy, how on earth can you get your team up and ready to go 
with a chance to win every game. Like on the radio broadcast, they were saying the defense for Ottawa was alive on the sidelines. Like, hell yeah. And we've been saying that. But then the offense was dead. Yes. And you, you, you need to give them hope that something can happen. Some kind of magic can happen, whether it's someone that can scramble and create extra yardage or create extra plays after the scheme is finished. I mean, at least when Dom Davis was under center for Ottawa, he wasn't afraid to throw the ball downfield and throw an interception. It seems like Matt Nichols is too afraid to throw a downfield interception. You know, he, it, you have two camps for this because there's the camp that risk it for the biscuit, right? The Bruce Arians where we're going to take those shots because that's what ends in touchdowns and it keeps defenses back on their heels where they think we might threaten them or there's death by a thousand cuts, which is what Tom Brady did with Josh McDaniels in New England, right? That we're going to dice you, dice you, dice you, three, four yards, three, four yards. Oh, there's a 10, there's a 15, back to three, four. You're never going for that deep shot unless it's once or twice a game. And for Ottawa, you need to take the shots and you're you're not going to get anywhere, especially in three down football. I know you can say, well, there's one less chance to take the shot, but worked out well for Hamilton when they took a shot to Dunbar on first and 10. No, did it ever. Did it ever. And to that point, I mean, I know we're a Canadian football podcast, but we we watch NFL. We know you guys listening watch NFL. But, like, Jameis Winston, when he threw 30 and 30, teams were still afraid of Jameis Winston throwing the deep ball regardless of whether or not he was going to throw 30 interceptions. I mean, sure, defenses were salivating, baiting him to throw those deep throws, but he was not afraid to throw them downfield, and he still led the league in touchdowns and yards that year and interceptions. Well, interceptions aside, though, a lot of the interceptions are poor decisions. There's a difference between poor decision making. I mean, he was legally blind as well. Yes, that like that that's a big <laughs> factor. But if you're looking at it like I can throw into double coverage, that's a bad decision. But if it's a one-on-one on the sideline, that's taking a chance. That's taking a calculated risk knowing that we are going to keep defenses honest because we're pushing corners, pushing safeties. So, I'm I'm shocked, man. This is not what we've seen in years previous from a Paul Lapolice offense I don't know I just I want more but where I want more I did get more you got more Nate Bahar played the slot started in the slot against BC something that we have been absolutely grandstanding for for the last what year we finally got the start not just in the slot but right where the famed Brad Sinopoli was able to go. And, you know, whenever he gets that chance, he he's shown that he's one of their better blockers. Okay, he was second in the team in targets behind Ryan Davis, f- finished four yards behind him on three less catches. Averaged 13 yards a catch. I mean, outside of R.J. Harris's one for 16, that's the best on the Red Blacks. You give him a chance, he makes plays. And, yes, he had two passes that he didn't quite haul in, but both passes were not the greatest throws. So for Nate Bahari, you're looking at it and you're saying five for 66. It's one of our, it's our leading receiver. Ryan Davis is eight for 70. Like, come on, let's get Nate Bahar involved because he's not afraid to go over the middle. He's not afraid to do the dirty work underneath and he can block when you need him to. Like, let's not act like he's a scrub. We all know what he can do. We saw the Carlton tape. We saw 
the 20 plus reps of bench. Like he's not weak. He can go in and bench guys if he needs to, especially a linebacker. Like you can trust him to make those plays. So, I mean, this is just a start and I'm glad he got this start at home too for the home opener. Um, Cause it's a good thing to have fans live seeing it, getting behind him as a player. And I, I, I think that he's going to progress as we go through the season more opportunities are going to come his way as a result, and I'm glad to see Nate Bahar be one of the leading receivers for the Ottawa Red Blocks. Yeah, that was great to see. Your article kind of paying dividends there as well. And you on Twitter as well. We will well, find his first tweet. <laughs> I stole that from you. It's fine. It's fine. But we, we collectively on All Canadian have been talking and wanting Nate Bahar to play in the slot. We finally get it, and guess what? We got what we wanted. We saw what we thought we would see. I'm excited to see if this trend continues. I'm looking forward to seeing the depth chart come out for Ottawa in their next game to see if Nate Bahar is playing in the slot there. But let's go to court. On the bench is me judging Wade for not having Saskatchewan as the number one pick right now in our power rankings. We have two consensus votes on our power rankings, Toronto by consensus in three, Ottawa by consensus in dead last, and then everybody else has Saskatchewan in first, but not Wade. No. Present your argument. It's the same argument as last week. That you, like, they played a bad game against Toronto. That's great. Now they came out and they played a good game against Calgary. Their defensive line... They played a good game against Calgary, and they almost lost. Au contraire. They played a good game against Calgary and were able to win at the end when it mattered. Jake Mayer was on fire. He was, what, 16 of 16 in the first half? Right. But that shouldn't happen. You have one of the best defensive units in the league. Yes, and they're implementing new starters. Like, Darby just got on the field. He's playing Sam. He's not even playing at safety like he played last year. So, he's yes, he's played these places before. But he's just getting used to it. Plus, you're adding Andrew Harris back into the mix. Kenny Lawler is finally starting to find his hands again after two weeks. This team is the best roster that we have. And, yes, Saskatchewan's up there. But to me, until we see them next week in the Banjo Bowl, I'm, I'm going to keep Winnipeg ahead. They had an opportunity to exploit and expose one of the worst, if not the worst, secondaries in Canadian football right now. Statistically, Calgary has allowed the most passing yards through the first three, four weeks of the season, and they couldn't find the end zone. Yes, Bailey had 108 yards. Yes, Kenny Lawler had 94. No touchdowns on the day. Kind of ruins it for me. Claro still threw 243. Fine. But against the worst secondary in the CFL right now, I want to see touchdowns. I want to see the ball being ripped around the field. You know, Andrew Harris was clearly the focal point of the offense, which is fine, but Calgary is actually relatively decent against the run. You had an opportunity to go out and just rip the ball around the field, and you come away with a two-point win when the line was set at seven, and many thought you should win by seven or more. I was one of those. I was wrong on that bet, which is why for me, like, Saskatchewan has done everything and more, especially with the injuries, whereas Winnipeg, I don't know. But you're right. We'll see in week five. Winnipeg-Saskatchewan, 
And I think that I said last. I, th- week. I think after week five, you're going to be forced to change your power ranking pick. And that's fine. I said last week when I first made it and was controversial. I said that they're going to win against Calgary, and then we're going to see in week five. And if I have to change when they play head to head, then I have to change. It's great. But they're playing a gauntlet now of Western teams. I think they're like eight weeks, seven weeks now in a row that they're going to be playing a Western Conference opponent. So we're going to see. And this is why it's a power ranking and it fluctuates and people can have opinions on it. Admittedly, the West is much stronger than the East as well right now. It is. And that's why in our power rankings, Hamilton's gotten a pass the first couple weeks because they played Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. So Winnipeg's that good. It's just going to be whether I have to flip first to second or second to first all right let's let's let the people know how the rest of the power rankings shake out i'm sure you've seen it on twitter by now already but saskatchewan is the number one overall team winnipeg number two toronto sliding in at three unanimously bc sitting at four hamilton sitting at five calgary sitting at six despite some votes looking like montreal is coming in at seven edmonton at eight Ottawa, welcome to the basement. Welcome back to the basement, I should say. Uh, welcome back. Have they ever made it out? Um, week oh, okay, week one, sorry, I think sorry. they were like eighth in week one. Yeah, no, someone, yes, because we all voted them ahead of Edmonton after the uh, ugliness that was Trevor Harris. So, except for DT, we will keep him uh, keep him happy there. We mentioned that. Still one of the funniest arguments to date on CFP. That was incredible. It is great. If you uh, haven't seen it, you can go back and check that out on the breakdown every Wednesday, but that one was just a couple weeks ago. So there's our power rankings. You guys will see the graphic as well. It'll be up and on social media for everyone to see. While we're holding court, do we want to check the receipts from last week? Because I mentioned it off the hop that we were pretty good. Um, I don't know if I want to jinx myself that bad, but I kind of feel a little bit gloaty on a Tuesday. It, then feel a bit gloaty because we're going to talk about it. Receipts coming out. Connor, you missed on Winnipeg. That's fine. I'll take that. I got nailed on Twitter for saying that Hamilton was going to come out firing. Guess what? Hamilton came out firing. You got Hamilton. You got BC. That was an obvious one, I think. And you got Vernon Adams completions by the skin of your teeth. Barely. Line was Barely. 16 and a half. You got 16 from VA. I was shaking. I was nervous for you because I heard he had like 13. And I was like, oh, Connor's going to lose that. God damn it. And then he just he couldn't get over the hump. Couldn't get couldn't over the Couldn't get other. that 17th completion. You but did miss I Willie Stanback. Really stand by yeah. quite a large margin. He was over under 90 and a half. He finished like in the 40s. So I'm fine with that, though, because I really didn't expect him to go for like 30, 40 yards. I really thought that based on what we had seen from up. Hamilton. I thought he'd be up in the 80s, yeah. too. Uh, well, especially surprised. how he's been running the ball, too. So, yeah, I mean, you, you missed Willie Stanback. You got VA, though, by the skin. Uh, two for three in your game picks. I mean... You know, not gonna complain. <laughs> can I like hi- two. can I get a Three hypothetical asterisk for Toronto? Because I totally would have taken Toronto to cover Edmonton too. No, you wouldn't. You do not get hypotheticals. Uh, but you did hit sixty percent today or this week, so that was pretty good. I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll see if we can push for a hundred percent next week. I really doubt it. And then I will hold myself accountable for my value bets. I had Jake Mayer. Yeah, you I, had a day. Admittedly, I started Jake Mayer, so thank you. Admittedly, I said. I did not know how he was going to perform on the episode. 
But if we're pulling receipts, I had asked Connor a question, and then right below it, I said, also, Jake Mayer, 260 tonight. I would like to say he hit the 260 mark, but... He exploded the 260 mark. 307. But, but I did say Jake Mayer. I also had Rashid Bailey, who had 100 yards. You did, yeah. So that was a big game for big him. Big game. Then I had the BC defense, which, meh, you know, 10 points. 10 points, I'll take that from a defense. 10 points, you know, not bad. Wish I could have had Dunbar from the Ticats, like Christina Constabile said, but I didn't listen to that one. That's on me, but he had a day too, so... Maybe we should get her value pick. Yeah, shout out Christina. That was a damn good pick. My word. Hell yeah, she she pegged that one. But uh, Jake Mayer, Rashid Bailey, and BC defense. I, you know, two for three. I'll I'll give myself a pass on the BC defense because like, ten points isn't outstanding. But I mean, at thirty two hundred, I mean, you're not gonna complain. So, my uh, Milanovic Leitre take no flopped. Big flop. Big flop. He had an opportunity, but Kadeem Carey was just rolling yesterday. I or started Kadeem, Kadeem Carey, Carey was so just, I'm not sorry. mad about that. Kadeem Carey was just rolling on Sunday. Started him. Still not mad. I'm not mad either. I had him going too. It was bold. It was bold to stack both Calgary running backs. That, that was pretty bold. But let's get going. It's time to talk RSEC football. And, you know, a little bit of a scare on Saturday. Yeah. We know they didn't play last year because of COVID. This year, we know that everyone has to be double vaxxed because the lack of accessibility to rapid testing. Thankfully, everyone on Montreal was double vaxxed. They had the first COVID scare of the season, week one, game one. Someone on the Carabanes tested positive on the Friday morning, I believe. 15 players were ruled as moderate close contacts. So they all had to go get tested Friday and Saturday prior to the game. All the tests came back negative. AKA, vaccines work. Just quick shout out on that one. But then they all had to wear the bottom half Oakley Shields. Obviously, the player that tested positive, unavailable for the game. But everyone else that was deemed contact had gone through the required testing, had to wear their shields. They all got to play. Wild, I imagine, for the coaching staff and for Sherbrooke as well because they didn't know if they were going to put their players out there or if they were even going to get a chance to. It worked out. Everyone got on the field. At the end of the day, 26-9 win for the Carabae. Jonathan Seneco, we know they came out with Dimitri Morand in the Vanier Cup 2019. Looks like he lost that contest and probably for a good reason. I mean, we saw Seneca go 25-35 and 3.42 and two tubs. Wow. The RSEQ finally has a passing quarterback, everybody. We saw quite a bit of passing. I mean, 33 attempts from the Sherbrooke quarterback, Anthony Robichaux. Sino Dinos from McGill went for 3.09. And then Thomas Bullduke from Laval threw 37 attempts. So all th- I think everyone was over 30 attempts, so... We're getting a passing attack. They're they're going to open it up this year, it looks like, and that's exciting for the rest of the country because if we can get another big aerial conference like Can West, uh, that's only going to bode well for the games and for the viewership. Other uh, big names, though, from the Caribbean, Hassan Doso, 8 for 135. I think the majority of that was on one uh, big play downfield from Senegal. Carl Shabbat, 8 for 86 and a touchdown. And then Connor, you love your Carabanes defense. 
I think, and it's early, but I think I have my Marc Antoine Ducroix, Retta Cramdy type player of the year for me. I think I might be falling in love with this guy a little bit. Michael Broderick, seven tackles, three sacks for himself, five and a half TFLs. Now, obviously, three of those are from the sacks. Sacks count towards TFLs, but still, good lord. There's a clip of it on the Montreal Caravans Instagram page, so I would suggest everybody go check it out. Sherbrooke's quarterback was rolling out to the left, and just the chase down speed from Broderick to go make that play, make that tackle was insane, man. For a guy sitting at 6'3", 216, he moves with speed. Looked like he hit a second gear, too, as he entered the backfield. Oh, uh, but yeah, let's talk about Sherbrooke a bit because uh, we know the uniforms. They look dope. Gross. Those new unis are paying dividends early. Oh they look nice. Even my. the numbering, the the font on the numbering looked nice too. So Didn't help them in the scoreboard, but golly, they look good. But yeah, they came out and they, you know, t- to be fair, they, they held Montreal to, I think it was like 16-2 at halftime. Yeah, it was a good first half for them. And then they pitched a shutout in the third quarter. Both teams did, so... Sherbrooke's showing that they can fight. Uh, Anthony Robichaux, 23 of 33, 214, and a rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter. Charles Giroux, 7 for 116. So that's a good combo to watch for as we go through the year. Uh, then let's talk a little bit briefly briefly about the McGill Redbirds. No longer the Redmen. We are going with Redbirds. Uh, no uniform change for them, but they look to be a different team on the field. Man. Is McGill going to be one of these sleeper teams to watch in the RSAC this year? I think they might be. I think they might be. You mentioned their quarterback had a big day, 309, a rushing touchdown, but Darius Simmons, man, my word. Seven receptions, 139 yards, a 19.9-yard average receiving. Disgusting. And, I mean, the fact that McGill played this to be 17-11, and Laval had a 72-yard touchdown from one of the running backs. So really, they're a big play away from being like a three-point game, four-point game probably. I'm guessing Laval would have scored anyways on the 72-yard drive. But that's what good teams do, right? Like good yeah, teams yes, come out and make big plays. plays. But the fact that McGill, a team that usually gets tossed around and beat up a bit in the RSEC, came out and played 17-11. Do they, we contribute this to the year and a half off? Or do we contribute this to, you know, McGill being a bit better? Or is it Laval being a bit worse than we're expecting? Like, which way do we read this? I know it's week one and we're making mountains out of molehills, but what do we make of a 17-11 McGill loss to Laval of all people? I, I've, again, like, you know, this has probably been my favorite phrase to use over the last four weeks, but I'm not pushing the panic button just yet on Laval. Oh, I'm not pushing panic at all. I think Laval is going to be a very good team. Like you said, I think this is just a matter of coming out of a global pandemic, not having played live-action football in a year and a half. Yeah, they've probably been practicing, whatever, getting team reps and working together. But, you know, it's different than than having live reps and seeing some live bullets. But I I think Laval is going to be fine. I think Laval is still going to be, you know, it's going to be a Montreal-Laval conference this year. But McGill, I think, is going to surprise some people if they can hold their weight against a team like Laval. Man, what are they going to do against you know teams that are at their caliber? 
they're certainly probably going to, you know, I would expect a McGill win over a Sherbrooke. I would expect them to hold weight against Concordia. Adam Vance is no longer there, so big playability from their quarterback. We don't know who's going to be the starter at Concordia yet. but and No James Tyrell either for Concordia. Exactly. So your, your top two offensive weapons are gone. So but, I don't know, man. McGill, I, I from, from what I saw in game one out of McGill, I was surprised in the best of ways. I think McGill is going to be one of these sleeper teams to watch in the RSEC. But let's, uh, let's look at this because as we go through, McGill had more time of possession. Laval had more penalties. They had 90 yards in penalties, which is a lot for a Laval team. Nine nine penalties at that. So That makes a head coach take his hat and just throw it. And Glenn Constantine, Glenn Constantine's the coach that, you know, he wants to build up, right? It's not a you don't want to be at your top at week one. Nobody ever does, but to to be beaten in time of possession on your home soil to a team that you traditionally kind of beat up on concerning for Laval I'm sure they're going to come out pissed off next week uh but for McGill I think it's a great building point for them and and they can be this third team in RSEC and maybe they match up against the Laval in the playoffs or maybe they collapse and we're just blowing smoke in week one but it's something to look at if you have time of possession like a five minute advance or a two and a half minute advantage over Laval of all people yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, to your point on Laval having a slow start, this isn't uncharacteristic of them necessarily. We've seen Laval come out, look a little bit sluggish through the first maybe game or two, still get the win, but look a little bit sluggish. And then, you know, by the time they get to the end of the season in playoffs, they're winning games like 55 rip. All right, let's talk about some of the performances, though. We we mentioned uh, the quarterbacks, but uh, Luca Perrier, you want to talk about this for a bit? Ladies and gentlemen, please let me introduce you to Luca Perrier. Eight carries, 105 yards, 72-yard long, and a touchdown. For the amount that he rushed the ball, mind you, most of those yards came on that 72-yard run, but he ran hard, he ran with force, he ran downhill, was patient, hit the holes, found the holes, I think Laval has found their feature ball carrier in week one. We'll I, see. Here's the thing. I don't think so because when you're looking at it. I think they had some like six different ball carriers in that game. Uh, four or yeah, four plus Bull Duke. So, I mean, five if you really want to count his one for zero yards. But Math's never been my thing. Um, if you're looking at it, though, they, they – they came out with a true split backfield. I mean, two carries for Duff. Lassard had three. Moss had five. And then Perrier had eight. But if you're looking at the yards per carry, four and a half, five, three, five, eight. And if you take out the 72-yarder for Perrier, he's at four, seven. So, I mean, you've got four guys up around four and a half, five yards per carry. I don't really think you need to feature anyone. You can keep these guys fresh. And if someone has a great game, that given day, then you start to use them in that situation. But honestly, I think that this Laval team is going to air it out. And they spread the ball there too. So we're going to see a very balanced attack this year from the Rouge Or. If I may counter your counter. Oh, wow. If you have a guy that you know has game-breaking ability and can run and can rip off a 72-yard run. We don't know. We don't know what these other guys don't, though. Just because no, he hit the one in the first game 
doesn't mean that Moss doesn't hit it in the second game, right? Right, but they were and all given the, the same opportunity. He was given slightly more opportunity. Because he's the feature back. No, it just... Lawyered. No, not lawyered. <laughs> he, like, you literally tear it. He's not a feature back if no. you're going to give him eight, eight compared carries. to five, three, and two. Like, that's literally just a true committee backfield. And you're going to ride the hot hand. Sure, Perry may get the bulk of the carries, but if Moss has a big day one day, you ride with him a bit more. So, And we're seeing this trend all over football too, right? More and more is. people are going to backfield by committee. And, I mean, like, even the Baltimore Ravens, Yes, J.K. was going to be the feature until he tore his ACL for J.K. Dobbins. Gus Bus is a damn good back in his own right, though. Gus Edwards is 700 yards in three straight seasons. The only guy to do that other than him is Nick Chubb. So Who is splitting reps with, with Kareem, Kareem Hunt. Hunt. So we're looking at it, and you need to keep these guys fresh because you have longer seasons. You have, especially if you're going to, not eight carries a lot of volume, but let's say they want to go heavier in one game. Then you're going to have heavier into the run game for one week. Then you're going to have multiple guys to go to the well, and in the fourth quarter, your guy might be a bit more fresh. And these guys are all getting involved in the passing game too. I mean, uh, they all had a couple catches, so we're going to see Laval come out and be balanced, and I think Bull Duke is the right quarterback to kind of push them as the season goes on. I just want to see them go a bit further uh, in terms of points. I mean, 17 against McGill. Uh, compared to what they're used to, is not a whole lot. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think that, you know, coaches are starting to realize that in certain positions, having rotation and, you know, maybe two, three good players at that position is not a bad thing. They're getting away from the traditionalist idea that you only need one good one, whereas if you have two, three, four good ones, well, guess what? You can keep legs fresh and keep guys rolling. So I think we're moving towards that. And as we talk about defenses and slow starts for offenses, Laval's D, always a good thing when you can hold a team to 11 points in your opening game. I mean, Montreal held Sherbrooke to nine, so their defense looking just as good too. We already talked about that. But 49 tackles, two sacks, four TFLs, and a pick. I'm excited for our sack, man. I, I really am. Uh, I know next week... Oh, next week. We get a little exhibition action. Yeah, we get exhibition action. Sherbrooke, Manitoba. Then we get some AUS as well. Uh, it's going to be a great week. Uh, just getting back to football until we find week one for the OUA and the AUS in the middle of the month. So we will keep you guys up to date as the weeks go on. Definitely looking forward to getting more of these games, though. Yeah, yeah. this was a, a pretty dominant U Sports episode. And for good reason, we are super excited it's back. But we will we will be doing that more. As we get more U Sports football, we're going to have to split it up with our time for the CFL. So we might be more heavy on Tuesdays with U Sports, but we will be definitely Hitting giving you hard. all of our values and bets and all that stuff for the CFL on Thursdays. We're not going to let you guys get out on that one. No, definitely not. But that... Closes out our episode today. It's been a long day. It's been a long weekend. It's been great. So why don't you kick your feet up, crack a cold one, crack a cold Sada City Brewing Company beer who offer brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door so you don't even have to go out to the LCBO after a long day of work. 
you can just come home from work, find a package on your doorstep. Look at that. It's your Sawdust City order. So visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. This August, just before we turn into September, CFP listeners, CFP listeners are getting an exclusive promo code. Use CFL during checkout to receive free shipping on all orders over $100. Shipping is available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age to get your hands on that. And are you geared up for game day? If not, you should head over to fox40shop.com, enter the code CFP15 for 15% off your order. Check out their coaching boards, gears, and more like the Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Electronic Whistle Gator. Fox 40 is the worldwide leader in whistle tech, so make sure you get over there, use CFP15, and get that 15% off your order. As always, have a great Tuesday afternoon. Don't forget to check out the breakdown tomorrow before Connor and I are back on Thursdays. If you missed uh, Marsha's counseling couch on Monday where he talked about his debut on CFL on TSN, go back and check that out on Monday. Him and Kyle Mello are there. As always, at Wade Zank, at Connor R. O'Neill, at CF Perspective. Enjoy your Tuesday.